Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Hampus Jacobson. He's a general partner at Pale Blue Dot. Hampus, welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm always excited to chat with you. You always have a ton of really good content. And so, but maybe before we get into all the stuff that you're doing now and uh, some of the other things I want to talk about today, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Oh, oh! Well, this is now. It has to be like a nine-hour podcast soon. Um, I think the the I think if I try to package this in like five minutes or something, which is a hard exercise for me, even um, I would say I grew up in southern Sweden. I grew up in a kind of a very science family. Both of my brothers, are, both of my uh, parents, sorry, are uh, originally scientists in different fields, gen genetics and uh, uh, physics. And then both of them ended up being, after all, being teachers. And then my two older brothers are a professor in abstract mathematics. So, and they're a lot older than me, all these people. So the thing is that I kind of grew up as like, I had technically more or less five parents as a kid and roamed them out and could do kind of like a bit of anything. Cause, because when you have three older brothers, they've already, you know, tried and tested every single stupid thing you can try. So it was amazing for like discovery. And my, my parents are very kind of, uh, chill or less affair or whatever you want to call it so it was like I just tried to test a lot of stuff and you know got into computers pretty early really enjoyed that and um, then uh, bumped into a couple of friends who um, were coding uh, early kind of early early computers or, or even uh, kind of consoles and kind of did stuff with them without having licenses so like you know if you get a old Nintendo console, console or an Xbox uh, thing you need to pay you know multiple 10ks to microsoft or used to be at least to build an app and uh, so what we did is like we circumvented that and then of course we didn't build a whole game but just build something funky on a nintendo and then we started competing with that internationally and i remember those people which is amazing because i think one tricky thing when you're young it's really hard to figure out a craft and well i think that's like for a long time in your life it's hard to figure out a craft like like you i find so many times it's like you don't actually know what to do like it's like if somebody says, "Can I help? Can you help me?" It's like most of the time, I think most people feel, "Yeah, with 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 what? Like, what can I do? What craft can I do?" Kind of thing. But luckily enough to kind of bump into that, got into programming quite a lot, really enjoyed that. And then at uni, I had this obsession where every single summer I went and did a job at another in another country. And the first job I kind of tricked myself into a bit, which was great because then I got to France, got to work in, in Paris and super ambitious job and like really opened up my mind. Then I went and worked at an art studio in London, which was great. Then I worked in Munich at an automotive simulation company. So just like, you know, got to see the world and got to see a lot of different jobs, honestly, um, which was great because then, you know, you get to see all kinds of company sizes and everything. And then the, um, the London company was very inspiring because they did arts and this was like year 2000 so people you got actually paid quite a lot for arts kind of like now when you like nfts you could get patient those um which i think i didn't get that was a blip i mean now maybe the blip is back but at least there were 20 years of not getting paid for arts um so we started an uh, like tech arts company where we were planning to do arts installations to get paid um and got one gig which was great and then randomly started a company on that which was about getting stuff on screens and mobile phones long very very long story short um got into that completely randomly no plan whatsoever it was not what we planned to do um, and then when we sort of got into that we scaled from the six friends uh, to 180 people offices in, in sweden in korea and seoul um japan uh, in tokyo then and taipei taiwan chicago us and san francisco us that's amazing and just scale this company completely organically you know we didn't have any any venture capital or anything because I mean, hey, we started an arts company, <laughs> not the thing. And also we started like uh, 2000, 2001 when, I mean, the whole, it was like a plague in the venture market. So nobody wanted to give anybody money. Um, then when we scaled that company, we're 180 people. Then out of nowhere, it just comes BlackBerry. 
And we had, I think we had Motorola, Samsung, Sony Ericsson, Nokia, Google, a lot of these like big players as customers and a couple of other like big brand names, but we had never met um, BlackBerry at all. And Black, this was like, you know, 2000, 2010 was like, BlackBerry was like the, like just ultra peak. They were just like one of the, you know, I think 29 was probably their crazy peak. They were just like the most impressive smartphone company in the world. Um, we met them and they kind of reached out to us and said, hey, we want to acquire you. Yeah, like we're just, what the heck's going on? <laughs> we're like, I don't think you want to acquire us. We're hundred new people, offices everywhere. Like, because we don't have venture money, we have, like, we have integration services. We, like, we have, like, an in-house, like, almost design agency. It's just, like, we're just a mess. Because, like, you know, when you build a company organic, you just, you know, you build very differently. Um, you're, not, you're not building it to fit into someone else at all. Um, not that you should do that when you're a venture company. But when you're a venture company, you tend to be slightly more kind of lean right. on some functions. Um, but we didn't. I mean, we had everything. Um, so then they kind of said, hey, we want to acquire you we were kind of weirded out they, you know, they called us and i was jogging i was actually into barefoot jogging at the time really like pacing my step and doing cadence running and stuff called me when i was running on the beach and i was like what the like pick up the phone it's like yeah hello i'm just jacobson it's like this guy's like hello my name is chris i'm calling from blackberry research in motion i would love to talk to you about acquiring your company tat and i was like whoa what i sorry <laughs> and then like i just stopped running immediately of course and like walked there on the beach and talked to this guy and he was like super nice he's canadian so, like you know obviously super nice had this great conversation i was like yeah it was like I, yeah chris like this is super cool i don't think you want to acquire us because like we're kind of like we're like offices in korea like we're quite a mess and certainly but like hey i mean i'd love to talk to you and love to figure this out and he was like yeah it stays wednesday do you want to set up a call a call like 2 p.m your time, 8 a.m. Uh, our time, Friday morning. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, that's great. Like, happy to do so. What do you want to go through? It was like, I want to figure out the prowess of your product, your user interface framework. And I don't know if you've seen our video, we've done this thing, we're making a tablet. So like, check that out and you can like see what we're thinking. I was like, cool, sure. Hung up the phone and I was like, okay. Got back, called one of my colleagues and it's like, hmm, I don't think they're gonna acquire us. I mean, we had this before when people said that and then they became a customer. But we said, like, as usual, we just like, let's throw ourselves at it and really show you know, what we can do so that we get them as a customer because they're a big company. Got into work this next morning, went into the prototyping team, said, hey, we checked this video for BlackBerry. They're making this tablet. And the, like one of the guys looks and it's like, this is all like a mock-up. They've never built this. It's obviously a mock-up. I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Do you want to like implement this, everything you see in this video? They're like, yeah, till when? Uh, Wednesday, or sorry, Friday, 2 p.m. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's going to be a stretch. Like we have to throw out just a couple of things, but we can do it. Three people is what we need. I was like, chill, you get three people. Cool. Like they were like, what is it? Yeah, BlackBerry, proposition of the customer. And I, that's what I thought, right? Like I would think something else. There was something, you know, some kind of butterflies in my stomach. I'm like, maybe something more, but I didn't really think so. So then come Friday, we prepped really well because yeah, we wanted some customer come into this meeting, show this, like we said, hey, do you have an iPad? There we go. We're sending over like an iPad file that you can, you know, put on your, put on your iPad. Back then, um, you know, you had to kind of make that, it was a bit complicated. Send them a file, they uploaded it. We're like, yeah, okay, great. You can just check out the UI now and you hopefully you're gonna recognize some of the BlackBerry stuff and we try to make it you know look good. And we know of course know the hardware specs and the thing you're building, but I mean the iPad is not that crazy good. The iPad back in 2010 wasn't that impressive. And the guys were like, Yeah, great. That and then they just muted. <laughs> and we we're like, oh now we insult them. Like now they're out. And we we're just like, this is what happens sometimes, actually. It happened to us before. And usually like it means that, you know, they're gonna say, thanks, this is great, bye. And then they hang up and then they call you back in a couple of months because they realize they can't make it themselves. This has happened up with Google and a couple of months. So like they were silent for a minute and then suddenly like somebody came back and like people were talking in the background. This one guy was like, hey, hey, and my name is David. Um, hey, uh, we're, we're here, we're here. It's just like, we're, we're talking guys. I'm like, yeah, no worries at all. And then he just muted again. And then like another two minutes silence. And then they suddenly got back, like everybody silent. We're like, hey. Could you be in Toronto on Monday morning? And we're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, what is it about? <laughs> we would like to go a bit deeper, but we would also like to acquire a company. I was like, oh, like, um, <laughs> yeah. And we were like, this is probably going to become a customer. As I said, so like, we were like, okay, sure. Do you want to have a company like Q and A now? I'm like, um, no. We have a couple of basic questions. We're going to send you a question pack. Can you answer that over the weekend? We're like, sure. Send a bunch of questions, very, very easy questions, like, you know, who owns the company and blah, 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 like, are there open litigations towards the company? Or we were like, nope, nope, nope. Answer, like, you know, a quick kind of Word document, send it back. They're like, great. Then 
one of my co-founders and I felt like we can't fly there and kind of say that there's an acquisition going on because everybody's going to be so spooked because now, I mean, they're kind of inviting us. They've seen the stuff and we can't really fly there and saying they're a customer either because we have a U.S. sales team. So they would go like, yeah, they want to join us and that's going to be super awkward. So we're like, how do we do this? So we're like, ah, I mean, it, like, you know, 5% probability this is going to become uh, kind of, you know, like M&A, but... 95 or whatever 80 percent they're gonna be a customer and the other 15 they're just gonna not become anything <laughs> so like okay let's see so then we said like hey let's just call in sick so let's just like not make a thing out of this so sunday evening comes we of course book tickets right so like sunday evening came we like you know call the like register we're gonna like we're sick both of us and then just like got on the plane wow. flew to uh, toronto got off got to them was met, met up by um um Don Lindsay, we we're like Don Lindsay, I recognize his name, and I realized like in the car, it was like, yeah, my name is Don Lindsay, like this big Canadian guy. Sure, talking to him is like, weren't you like part of Apple pretty early? It was like, yeah, I designed mm-hmm. OS X, and like, you no, know, when Steve Jobs came in, he just tossed out every single designer, and I said, you're doing the wrong thing if you're tossing me out. Wow, give me a week to prove it, and then Steve Jobs kept me, and then I kind of did the first prototype of OS X um, using kind of Flash or Flash prototype at least, and then he said, hey, you're gonna do this, and we we're like. Shit, we're sitting here in a car, like this guy picked us at the airport. We're like, what, what the hey? <laughs> uh, like driving driving to their office, and he was just sitting there talking, super nice guy, but like we were just like, you know, semi-starstruck. And things we'd worked with all these huge companies, right? Like before, but the thing is, like, they didn't usually pick up a like at the airport kind of level from these kind of people. So we're sitting there and we come into the office, we come into like their, you know, the kind of ivory tower HQ kind of building, come in, Mike Desaridis comes, Mike says this like big huge imposing i mean he's like huge guy like super tall looks like really like incredible like i was like hey my name is michael series i founded this place but yeah don't make a thing out of this like shake your hand and we're like holy like this is this guy is he's something and again we were used to these things but there was something in the room we felt the vibe turned around and this we're in the management team room and their whole management is room Wow. We're just sitting and like we're staring at like 15 people we're like <laughs> okay and then mike says yeah so we're gonna go we just checked out different softwares for you know the blackbird platform and we really like what adobe is building but then some people on the team say we should check out you and i kind of just felt oh my god we've flew to toronto like <laughs> they're checking out it and i was like and I called with someone filled in the military. I was like, can I speak freely? I didn't say exactly that, but I kind of felt that. I was like, oh my God. Like, can I just, can we say what we think about this? He was like, yeah. So like, we just took the whiteboard, Michael and I, like my co-founder and I, and we started drawing and like, this, this is what Adobe does. This is how it works. Like, if you want to get a pixel on a screen with Adobe, this is what happens. Like when you actually get one red pixel and one blue or whatever. And then this is what we work. And we like went back and forth. And then this guy, this huge, I mean, super incredible CEO of a, you know, massive 17,000 people company list on Nasdaq. He had these questions that were like razor sharp. He was like, yeah, but now when you're drawing that, you're not including video wrap. And we were like, no, that's true. We're simplifying this. Okay, yeah, yeah, we can add the video wrap. Like adding the video wrap. And he was like, yeah, but like, are you now thinking of screens that are not necessarily 565 screens? No, 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 of course. No, no, no. We can have an alpha channel as well. We just like, and this guy's like, holy, like this is the CEO of a company. He knows all these details about screens and... He just stands there mangling us for 20 minutes. We're like, holy moly, what's going on? And then like, we kind of felt, it doesn't matter. We're just going back to the airport. So like, why not just teach them what's wrong with the way they're thinking? And that's like how we usually did it. We were like, just, you know, we're not doing sales. We're just going to tell you how it works and go out and get it, OB, and you know, talk to you later. And then after 20 minutes, like Mike says, hey, can you join me in my office? Like, yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> if that's what works for you. And like, you know, I'm getting here till, you know, 4 p.m. So whatever. So like walks into his office, which refers next door to the massive like management room. He says like, you know, looks at it, Waterloo University, like, yeah, there's the computer science department. And Michael, my co-founder was like, yeah, I actually did it like a year there. They start talking about that. And like, there's the quantum computing center. I actually funded that. I'm really proud. It's really cool. So they're talking and I'm like, feeling, what the heck is going on? And then Mike turns around and is like, so some people in my management, are like, they don't really get it. And I was like, mm-hmm. they don't get it. Like Adobe will never work never worked thanks for the show you didn't there that was amazing we just stare at this guy like what i was like this is perfect so we'd love to what's your turnover next year what do you think it's going to be for like uh next year uh like 30 35 million euros ish he was like okay what if we acquire you for 150 million dollars next year uh, like sorry what if you acquire 150 million dollars uh like now 
And I'm like, what, sorry? Yeah, I was thinking like, I want to get done quickly. So in six weeks, I want you to have like Blackberry business cards and be part of the team and like, no, just no fuss. We're just looking <laughs> at these guys like uh, 150 million. And we're like, what? Yeah, 150 million dollars, six weeks. We're just like, no fuss. Like, oh, yeah, like, I mean, we can't speak for the whole company, right? But like, okay, cool. Do you have a corporate finance company? Like, no, no, no. Okay, let's just like, let's figure out, we're sending your term sheet, get a corporate finance company. We'll just negotiate it quickly with them and then we're figuring stuff out. What the heck is going on? Like, we go, like, essentially, we go out and like say hi, hi. And then he comes into points to this guy, Chris, who called me. He's like, hey, Chris. So we kind of talked about this. We look at like 150 million dollars, um, but this can be swift. And Chris is like, yes, of course. Great. Um, do you want to ride him to the airport? Like, sorry guys, I got to go to another thing. We're like, no worries. He goes away. Chris goes to us to the airport. And we have dinner with him at the airport. Like, talk stuff through, and then we get an airplane. We're like, okay. I mean, this is like, this was just too weird. And then we land and like, I pick up my phone on the airport, Copenhagen airport where I'm close to, pick up the phone, check my email. I was like, we got a term sheet. We got wow. a term sheet. Like I've got a term sheet in my box. We got a term sheet for $150 million. What the heck just happened? And then like, you know, we've called the head of the board. and was like saying what's going on. We figured out quickly, like, you know, how to respond to it. Six weeks later, we're Blackbird. Amazing. And like, you know, it was just really wild. Like, it was just so crazy that, and then when you got on the inside, I ended up, running part of MA for them. And then I kind of asked my colleagues, like, how did that go? And they were like, it was a neck breaking process. It was totally lunatic. Mike had decided like what happened one week before is that the head, like the head of design, so, so John Don Lindsay had came, come into a management meeting and say, we cannot build. Like, I cannot see the engineering team building what I want to build uh, in the UI. Wow. And then the engineering manager just stood up and like, no, SVP engineering at Blackboard was like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, there's no way. I think this is what you're designing, Don, is unrealistic. And the donor's like, no, but this is like, if you want to look like, feel like Apple, this is not your list, this is what it is. And then Mike just interrupted both of them and said, hey guys, I need this fixed. He pointed to Chris, like, you know, the M&A guy said, hey, can you just look at what we can buy? And Chris was like, yeah, what's the budget? I don't care. What's the time wow. now? <laughs> the funny thing is like, when this guy, when Mike said $150 million, the craziest thing is like, because we had no, like no realism, we had, I mean, we had no VC or anything, right? For us, it was like, we could probably have said, 250 and this guy would have been like sure so like it was just so nuts that we just stood there and we're like okay uh, and i like i felt like i was 12 years old or something um but it was like it was great and then i worked for blackberry for almost two years and uh, learned a lot learned about MA, which was really interesting and fun and then after two years like or after a year actually then blackberry started really heavily starting to chase apple and then i just felt mad like i actually don't agree to this strategy at all had a conversation and then kind of said, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm leaving. It's better than I'm leaving. Um, so then I left, did other things. Now I got my youth and a bit more. Interesting. No, I, I think the thing that's fascinating, and I think for people that don't know, like, BlackBerry was the dominant smartphone manufacturer. Like, before the iPhone, everybody basically had a, a BlackBerry. And then everybody switched to the <laughs> iPhone over a number of years. But... It was wild, like to think back to that time. Like they bought you when they were the top smartphone manufacturer globally. Is that yeah. fair to say? No, totally. I mean, they were like what what like Apple is today. Yeah. That was what they were. They were like totally. if you came to a company, like if you came, it, it, even more extreme because nowadays, I mean, you have kind of like you have Android, you have Apple. And the yeah. thing is, back then there was like there was one smartphone manufacturer, BlackBerry, yeah. and then you had a lot of like you know. Nokia had kind of like a high-end smartphone, but it was like super weird. Sony Ericsson had one, it was super weird. And therefore you had the iPhone, and iPhone, like the first iPhone was a toy. Like you can read email on it. It was, it was cool and flashy. I mean, I think we all loved it. But it was like, you could, like, you could take pictures with it. And like it had a semi-city camera, pretty fragile screen. There was something there. The, the thing was, of course, the browser. It had like a super impressive browser. But I mean, back in 20, 2007, I mean, browser on a mobile phone it was pretty slow it was clunky it was still kind of pre and then of course you know the app store and things took off but it was like fun and games and then like blackboard was still like they were just the player it was like totally. if you like if you came into an office like people just glued to their blackboard and everybody used dbm everybody know like type with these crazy fast keyboards and then like you know apple just you know swept them off and it was crazy and it was like so fast um so it was it was very interesting to see that transition and i mean i saw the first year on the inside. And that was so strange to seeing the first year I was there when I started seeing that movement. I started yeah, seeing company by company and 
like Apple had launched email and started seeing these things like you can check your email on on an iPhone and it's and for real like not 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 like fake but like you can actually do it and yeah it was really impressive and the thing is at first when I was a BlackBerry I felt they like BlackBerry is gonna do this they're they're gonna figure it out but then it just felt no you're trying to build an entertainment device like you're not trying to build the ultimate productivity device which is your DNA BlackBerry but now you're trying to build like a fun and games thing and you're not fun and games what are you doing and that's kind of why i felt like i can't be here i can't be in a company where i think that they're doing the wrong thing oh interesting so i want to get into you're doing um investments now with pale blue dot what types of stuff are you guys in investing in and maybe give us some examples because the companies you've been investing in are actually really innovative and cool yeah i mean we i mean we've we started June last year, um, just thumb us overview quickly. We're hundred million dollar funds. We're pretty. We're super early stage. I think that we're kind of the first ticket in. We usually do like a million dollars for ten percent of the company. So typically, when they're raising like one, two, three, four million dollars, like at maximum four million, actually, kind of that's when we it's getting harder for us. But okay. that's when we come in. We were super super closely with the founders because I think that to be frank, like all three of us have built and scaled companies. We think it's the, like the most interesting part. And I think that if you just look at it as like capital allocation, it's just like, you know, how to just print money. I don't think it's the probably the smartest strategy because I mean, we're working quite a lot with the entrepreneurs. And I think that if we didn't do that, we would have a lot more time to kind of think about finance, financy ways of multiplying money. And I think we're not, I mean, we, we are, of course, we're like taking our responsibility on that. But if you look at how we spend our time, we're spending our time with like making these people succeed, which, hey, I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I think it's a probably good idea for the investment as well. But I think it's a, like we're spending so much time and love with these people because we just think it's so exciting. I mean, these people are doing so cool. And out of the 14, we've done so different companies. We've done like super, super, super crazy deep tech. We've done one company, which is a machine learning platform that essentially figures out what, how you should modify and change DNA to be able to edit crops, so like potato and tomato and those things like that. And they figured out this super intelligent method of kind of a three-step method when first you just do it in silicon. So like you kind of like look at the DNA and say like, you know, the machine learning says like, oh, change this to get this feature or whatever. And like, I'm very oversimplifying that of course, but there's like essentially like a little uh, kind of testing tool for DNA, but just just in, in on the computer level. And then when you got that, you say, oh, these three candidates look like they can get the feature I want. Take those three things and then you implement it like in with CRISPR in the DNA of a plant. And then now you've figured a process to verify that. So now they can like ch check out like how well are they corresponding to actually, you know, being able to grow in saline soil or whatever, whatever feature they want to do on this plant. And then they can say, oh, that didn't go that well or it's pretty good. And then they take that input and they feed it back to the machine learning system and they can say like, so here's like, even the fail ones give data back, of course, because like if the ML said, this is great, and then it comes back, it's not great. Then it's like, oh, interesting, let's continue. Like now we have more input on what works. And then what they next do is then they start breeding plants. And when they breed plants, they do it in a super smart method where they get like a, lots and lots of data about the breeding. They can feed in that data to the machine learning algorithm again in steps. So now like every loop they do, they just get like essentially do better and better kind of DNA search on plants and then they can implement and create and they can create like, you know, like, you know, crazy that you can can't imagine um, or maybe that you can't imagine. But what they can do is implement stuff, which is just totally groundbreaking. So they can, you know, make a thing that uh, they, they like there's just, and these small things that you don't know about. So like there's a certain kind of salad where it's, uh, it's kind of sprouts small flowers essentially okay. and which is a pretty common salad in like you know and in, in if you go to like uh, whole foods or something and the thing is when these small flowers bud they're pretty bitter so what happens in a store is like when they see those flower budding or actually they don't see them they just see they've been there for three days they just toss all the bags out because now they know they start tasting bitter and you don't want them because then people are going to say the salad starts bitter so then they just edit out that the fact that they bud flowers so then like you have a, like a sterile uh, kind of salad and that never sprouts these. And of course that just, you know, doubles the shelf life of this salad. So of course less waste and you know, better margins, blah, blah, blah. But then they've done lots of these super cool stuff. So they've done tomatoes that are optimized for robot picking. It just like improves the yield massively and reduces the watering of plants. They've done a, a potato that doesn't bruise. So like there's so much waste wow. in the production of potatoes and now these don't bruise anymore. So like, this is like crazy deep tech company and like one way, but then we've done other companies. We've done a company that takes 
algae and seaweed. Uh, and like one of the founders is a super algae uh, expert, made a documentary of films about algae and, and algae farming. And the other founder is um, uh, like a food scientist, super versed in taste and, and, and feel and, and kind of quality about food and mouthfeel. And then they take these algae, choose certain algae species, choose certain parts of that algae, and then use a couple of different fermentation steps. And one of their products is a kind of a canned tuna, but like it's obviously not tuna, but it's like this algae-based tuna. And the crazy thing about it, it is canned tuna. Like if you, <laughs> and like the first time they send, they send us these kind of like triangle sandwiches with corn, um, vegan mayo, and this tuna, I had a bite in it and spit it out immediately. It was like, Send us tuna sandwiches, idiots. And then, like, it literally, like, took me a couple of seconds to kind of, you know, pick this apart, look at it again. I was like, maybe, maybe it is tuna. Is it tuna? And, like, took another bite. Just like, I think it's. Uh. And like, my two colleagues were sitting there, like, chewing on this, and we're like, I think, I don't, I don't think it's tuna, but it's so close. I can't really. I mean, it's like it tasted great, but the question is, it tastes great, but is it tuna? <laughs> and it was like canned tuna. It was so cool. And then the cool thing about this is that when you grow seaweed in the ocean. Uh, you suck down lots of carbon, you increase biodiversity in, in the ocean, you create lots of interesting local jobs, actually. And then, um, and then for people, when you, eat, um, when, you, when you eat seaweed, it's really good for health. And they have a lot, a lot of benefits. as less a lot of the things that, that uh, because tuna is like they're huge fishes. So they, they eat smaller fishes and those smaller fishes eat smaller fishes. Those smaller fishes can eat stuff that contains mercury and other things. So they kind of compound a lot of bad stuff. Of course, algae doesn't have that. It doesn't eat other other things so it's like actually healthier for you it contains a lot of super small stuff especially for for vegans you know, like b vitamin and omega-3 and stuff so it's really good for people and then the third aspect is you're not killing tuna like you're not slaughtering yeah. you know big animals and the other cool crazy thing is like when you're actually killing tuna you're driving around with massive like don't don't care about your pickup now like think about the, the size of these boats which are running around with an open freezer so like they're they're driving out of the sea with fossil fuel just fuming right. right out with an open freezer and they're just tossing in the tunas in this freezer. So like, if you ever keep your freezer open, you're like, oh, I'm an environmental enemy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, look at what these boats are doing live every day. So the crazy thing is like, this company is one of those, like it just checks all the boxes, like, you know, from the first thing to the, to the bite. It is, and those companies like they're, sometimes we have like investors who ask us like, or other investors like, yeah, how do you know if something is a climate company? And we're like, yeah. I'll tell you <laughs> just like, when you meet the end of these people and the thing is the founders are of course that's another thing it's like the founders of the portfolio they're just like these this like massive kind of climate people which is it's amazing it's uh one of the founders is like she decided she's going to offset a lot of the stuff she's doing so so we talked to her about about that when we invested and it's like what are you doing what kind of offsetting are you doing like we're when we say offsetting by the way it's like suck down carbon from the sky we don't think you should buy like offsets like this kind of financial products but like how do you like create negative emissions for your for what your uh, like emissions are and she says oh i'm planting forest and we're like oh okay like are you buy, buying forest planting forest planting is not necessarily really really good it has a lot of drawbacks actually for climate okay. and she says like no 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 i i i, I plan forest i'm like oh how do you do that so i got this a lot of land and like nowhere land and i just like plant lots of forest there and let it let that be and i'm like you're taking this quite seriously <laughs> like <laughs> that's amazing like just amazing so these people are just amazing and then like one another complete angle is one company in the us called sphere they're building a fossil free um 401k so the crazy thing about your 401k 401k plan right now is that the 401k, I mean, like you go to a company, you know, they're saving for your pension. And I mean, they're saving for a rainy day, right? Or like, you know, yep. your future. The crazy thing is that they don't, like, we don't really think about that rainy day is like, you know, a level five hurricane probably. Like we're not realizing that we're like, we're saving for a day where the planet's. And the scary thing about it is that the way your savings are saved, they're put, they're invested, is like in fossil fuels. Like there's a lot of your, your pension money is essentially destroying your own and your kid's future. So if you're working for, you know, the Googles, the Apples, the Facebooks, whatever, these are huge employers. And like all of these 401ks, it's just crazy amount of fossil fuel money. And, and when you go to like, you know, your 401k provider and say, hey, we want to do one on fossil fuel, these people are just immediately like quack, quack, quack. Like, you know, you increase like the risk, you're, you're indexing over a smaller part of the portfolio, blah, blah, blah. And I think that anybody of us would say, I would prefer to index of a smaller part if you remove the idiot stuff, right? And not only like idiot because I feel bad about it, but I think that, I think fossil fuels are going to go down. I don't think they're a very valuable stock on a like 20, 40 year perspective, like when I'm going to retire. Um, so I think that it's just crazy when you go like, 
and then you say, can I remove this? And they say, yeah, sure. We're going to add another like, you know, 60 to 120 base points. You're like, oh, but then, you know, it doesn't matter that much because then like, I mean, then like there are a lot of money are going to disappear in fees. And I'm like, yeah, but this is really complicated. And the cool thing with Sphere is it's not complicated. They designed by this amazing, super simple product, super easy to use. You literally just go to your employer and say, hey, I want to use Sphere. OneSphere.com, can you check it out? And they are obliged to add it. Like any company is not needed. Like they're obliged amazing. to add most at least. So then you just go and then you just say, hey, I want to move my money into this. And now all your, like, you know, the pension money you're doing, your 401k, is no longer destroying the company. So like wow. it's just, that's, of course, a completely different product, right? So this is the fun thing about our job is like you get to you have to get in and get like how does like CRISPR editing and DNA editing machine learning work you know how does like how do we harvest you know uh, algae and seaweed and how do you ferment it and how do you make consumer, consumer packaged goods and how do you get those into the whole foods of the world and, and or like you know how does the pension system work and it's pretty <laughs> exciting but it's like there are days when I feel like oh I really like, would like to just sit down but <laughs> that's gonna, amazing it is a lot of fun so You've been through, obviously, getting acquired by a large company. You've invested mm -hmm. in, I think if I remember correctly, 150 plus companies at this point in your career. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So what advice do you give to people when they're potentially going to get acquired? And what things do they need to think about? Because I've gone through it. It's daunting. It's scary. You kind of mm. outlined how you were feeling when BlackBerry was acquiring you. So what are your thoughts around that and advice around that and any anything else we could talk about around that? Yeah. So first thing I would say is like, I, I just think you should never start a company or like you know, design the way your company is built to be acquired. Like, I mean, I think that if you do, okay. you're doomed. Like, it's just like, if you, if like, I, I don't know, I mean, how many founders I need to said, like, we're making this booking platform for cleaners and it's like super, super smart. And you look at Airbnb, they definitely need it. So the plan is like, you know, to flip it to them within two years. I think that the problem for most people they don't really get is that it is kind of like you knowing, it is kind of like, you know, like we know that my friend is getting married on Saturday and we're going to like make the biggest badasses like birthday cake you can ever imagine and we're like you know it's gonna do this crazy thing what the thing you haven't thought about is that they sure know about their wedding way more than you have like if you think about airbnb's problems and you're not really 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 on the inside they know that too and the other thing is like when your cake is ready well it takes a lot of years to build an impressive company that is acquirable so the thing is that when your cake is ready well the wedding is long gone so right. it is really hard to plan these things. Like you can't just say, oh, I think this can be acquired. So I think what I think people, and you can always like, there are opportunistic stuff people do, which is like, you can say, oh, there, there needs to be a solution for the dark kitchen people. They need to figure out this and that. And you, but now you're not targeting, like you're not targeting a like vendor. You're saying like, this is a phenomenon. And I think that kind of works. Uh, it works to say, but then I think that you're back into building a pr product and a company of a problem. Like you're not thinking about being acquired. You're saying, listen, like look at how the e-scooter companies are looking at battery maintenance. And then you like, you know, you go and try to figure that out. Then you realize none of them have this problem, like have figured it out. It's yeah. a pretty, it's a bit of a nascent problem for them, but you see this growing and you realize this problem is going to be huge. Like how the heck are they going to manage recycling of batteries? And then you talk to them and they say, we started doing it. And you're like, how do you do it? It sucks. So then you realize, I don't care if it's like, you know, Uber or Lime or, one of these people who are going to acquire us or they're going to be our customers or you know we're going to be acquired by pgne who needs them the other end well, i don't know but the thing is it's clearly a problem so then let's go build it and solve it and let's build an empire on this and then you know when we're an empire then maybe somebody says hey we'd love you to be part of our and then it's like yeah and so i think that's the first thing is like i would just never design and build a company for like having the plan in mind um it's kind of like, you know, Columbus saying, I'm, you know, sitting through West Indies. It's like, yeah, yeah, you go, man. It's just like, <laughs> it's not there. There's another thing in between. Um, it's kind of hard to predict. The other thing is, I think that the way I view acquisitions is like when you're growing a company, I really love thinking about essentially stall points. So you think like these S-curves, like when you grow a company, first it goes like, boom, really quickly. And then suddenly it's just like go slower and stalls and it's complicated. And then these S-curves are essentially mounted on each other. And like when you come to this point where it's a plateau, it's like... That's the point, like the, what I like calling the stall point here, when it stalls, and you feel like, and it's like that S curve might be, the, I mean, let's say that you're this battery recycling company, you're like, that might be 
number of batteries you recycle, whatever. So like you see, it just grows like crazy. And then suddenly it starts to plateau. We're like, why does it grow as fast? Like we're not increasing the new batteries as fast as we wanted. And when you're at that point, you have to ask, you have, like you have three choices. Like either you just grid it out and you're like, yeah, we just launched in like, you know, Mexico and Canada. So like, we just have to get that market up and running. I just spend time, just like bite the bullet, just like work hard and like, you know, get your head down. Or you realize like we have to acquire something. Like we have to acquire either you have to acquire and I, th I think I think you can acquire usually three things. When you're a small company, you don't have these choices, but um, you can acquire essentially IP, like, you know, some tech, which is like makes a thing for you. Like maybe you can measure the recycling better or something. Right. Or we require know-how, just require people. And like, you know, yeah, like the, we make this product better. Or we require a channel. Like you essentially acquire so that, you know, now we get into a new market. And if those are essentially the three things you acquire. Like or usually the problem is like you can if you acquire a company you usually get one of those three things and the problem is like you kind of mess up at least one or the other because um, uh -huh. like you know if you're buying a company which has an amazing product and amazing team you it's very unlikely you have that customer as they do so you're probably going to toss away their channel for example um, and if you have a company you know doing whatever referral system for something which is like you know for auto sales whatever and you're like a big auto manufacturer buying them I mean you're going to buy their channel their product. Like, you know, come on guys, we don't need it to be flexible. Like we're the only auto manufacturer to work with. So you end up tossing something usually. So when you get to this tall point, like the second choice is like, okay, you acquire yourself out of that problem. You know, you get new market or whatever, a new product. Then the third choice is that you get acquired. So like, I feel like when you get to that stall point, you ask yourself like, how are we gonna get, how do we continue having this explosive like 20, 30% month to month growth or whatever, like depending on the age of the company. Right? And you're like, damn, I'm just gonna do it. Like, we need to get into Spain. We need to get like, you know, northern northern Africa. Like, you need, like, how are we gonna get there? And you're looking at a choir there, and like, you're figuring out. Sometimes then you just bump into somebody who's like, we just met, you know, the biggest Spanish company in this process, and they know everything about this. They have all of, you know, Brazil and South America. They know all. So like, maybe we should just be part of them instead. And then when you do that, uh, then like, that's maybe the easier process for you, uh, than trying to acquire, you know, Telefonica or whoever you're talking to. So then I think those are kind of the three choices. And I would say that, so the way I view it is like, you kind of build to last, you build it to solve a big problem and you grow this company and you're trying to fix it. And as you grow that company, you might just get to a point where you realize, you know, either it's getting acquired or it's acquiring, and then either it is, or, or it's just gritting it out. And I think if you realize that we actually, I don't think that you should just say, okay, we will be acquired. But I think sometimes you realize that there is, this is just like, it's doesn't make any sense. To, to kind of try to acquire ourselves out of this, but so we should get acquired. And then I think the way I look at it is I try to look at it as the acquiree or the acquirer, sorry. So I try to think about it like if I'm Cisco or Google or whoever, I would look at it as like, so what are we to them? You know, are we, are we a product that if, we, if they add their product, they will multiply this? Are we channel for them? Are we just pure IP that they will put in the box? What are we for them? Are we a new market? And I think that a lot of people imagine their own product to be amazing. And then, you know, you just don't need to uh, kind of, you know, it, oh, if Google just acquired us and roll this feature out of Gmail, it would be great for them. Well, guess what? Google have some other priorities. So it's probably not their biggest yeah. thing, but sometimes you can actually have those things where it's like, I mean, kind of what, you know, YouTube was for Google, right? It's like, totally. yeah. they search the internet, but they don't search video. So like, if there's any way where you can get them to become video, I don't think the, you know, the YouTube founders thought, oh, you know, we could help them search videos. That was clearly not what was happening, right? But I think that sometimes you just end up in these relationships where like, oh my God, like we, we could actually multiply this for them. What I found what happens then usually is like, I would say there's like, um, there's a very low probability that you have that match. But what I think is really good is that what you end up doing is that you end up, like you try to meet them. And the interesting thing I find is that the M&A people of the company are super easy to find. Uh, like you literally search like M&A Cisco or whatever. Um, and you can talk to them. I usually find it so much better if you have them as a customer, you know them, you know, you kind of work with them. They know what you are. But if you don't, if you just go, I mean, I have had companies where I invested in where we realized that ah, this doesn't work. The tree team is a total dream team, but we just can't get the CAC down. This is just way too expensive to acquire customers. But the product is, it's, it's cool, but it's, I mean, it's, it's more impressive than it's something. Um, then you just realize, okay, this is going to be an acquire. Like we, we're just going to try to get like acquired for us being smart. Done. We will use the product and the current customers as a proof point. They're, like whoever buys us, they will not care about this, but they will look at us as six amazing machine learning people within biology or whatever. 
And then you just go out and it's like, who are the list? You talk to them and try to figure out. And if you're that, then sometimes you actually can approach the MA people and just say, hey, we're like, we're nine people, like seven, uh, you know, PhDs in, in biology and machine learning. Uh, like I'm product manager, blah, 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 before. I would love to kind of figure out if there's a fit. We realize that we're kind of in the road on taking customers and we don't want to do around. Yes, we have American visas, you know, like all of the things that you realize that they're going to say, no, we can't acquire you. We don't want a company in country X. But if you they realize that this, this won't be a headache for them, then the NMA people, they're usually super fast. They just go, wow, interesting, like soup, like great, like seven PhDs in this, that's great. Let me ping a product manager. They usually book a call, they go, go through with it with you and then they discuss it and they figure out. But that is because if you're selling know-how and people, it's fairly easy. I mean, they're going to look at you as hiring and then it's fairly easy to assess. Um, if you're selling product, like if you're selling, like, look at our product, this is great. That's way more complicated because then, I mean, you're kind of coming with a wedding cake to somebody's wedding. You have to make sure it fits. So a friend of mine got acquired by, by Apple many years ago. They had done a face recognition software to like, and well, you know where it is now for Apple, right? But uh, back then <laughs> yeah. it, it, they made like this kind of toy thing where it found faces in, in pictures and were able to like, you know, you helping build automatic albums for picture albums. It was kind of a toyish thing, but very impressive technology. That's and, cool. you know, they, it was really cool. They got in, like, they got to meet Apple. They got this great meeting. And then Apple looked at it and said, like, yeah, auto, like they came there and pitched, like, you could auto generate, you know, photo albums on the iPhone. And I think Apple was like, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. they got on the airplane back and was like, mm -hmm. they had like, the, you know, they connected with the Apple people, but it was like clear this wasn't the thing that Apple, you know, got excited about. So on the airplane back, the two of them started talking about what would actually connect to Apple. And then on the plane back, they started like, you know, going through different, you know, we could build a product that did this and, you know, found faces for security. We could do this and that. And then they kind of almost like immediately when they got home, they kind of built a little bit of a prototype, kind of what we did. Like they build this prototype of like face recognition to be able to figure out if you are you for the phone, you would hold up the phone in front of you, it recognize your face. Yeah, let's try that. And like email that and said, hey, great meeting in Cupertino. We'd love to talk to you. And by the way, we thought a bit about this. I do want to check this feature. Apple was like, yeah, we were super impressed by the meeting. Like you want to swing by Tuesday next week, right? Came back, demoed this. Apple sat there. It was a bit lukewarm, but like, yeah, they're like them. They were impressed by what they did. One more time, get on the airplane back, sit and talk about it, come up with another cool idea. You know, they prototype this, pings Apple, gets back to Cupertino. This third call, Apple's sitting there, like, or meeting, they're sitting there talking, and they're like, yeah, all of these strange things are cool. But I mean, none of them are like the thing that would make us, you know, jump and say, we got to do this. But we're impressed by what you did. And your technology obviously handles a lot of different use cases. So uh, yeah, we'd like to acquire. And it's so funny because like, you know, they kind of flex their muscles and demo all they did, right? But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, I usually try to say like, I think about acquisitions kind of like when you're hiring. For me, acquisitions, like when I'm hiring people, I'm saying like, there's three skills I want. Ex you know, there's of course, you need to know, you know, if you're going to be a molecular biologist, you probably have to know molecular biology. But um, other than that, there are three super important things for me, which is, you know, smart, get done, and nice. And what I mean by those things are get done. It's just like, uh, like you know, hey, could you look at this day after you've done it? Or could you go through this thing? Yeah, sure. By the, by the two weeks later, you've done it. And like, you just see that these, they take on a task and they solve it. And they're not like, you know, because most people on the planet, they're like, oh, I don't like working. But if you like meet people, like they just get done. Yeah. And, right. just, and it's like, it doesn't have to be the best. It's just like, they just, you know, they do. That's great. Um. And then the second thing about being nice for me is like, would I hang out with them? Like, you know, if you share a transatlantic plane, would I like, would I enjoy their company? Um, stuff like that. And I feel like that's super important because, you know, great people attract other great people and nobody really wanna work with jerks and so on and so forth. And then the third thing is smart. Smart for me isn't like, you know, IQ and math skills and can they play chess in the dark or whatever. The thing for me is like, do they solve problems when they don't know the solution? How do they handle like ambiguity, uncertainty? How do they go about a problem? Do like do they call ten people? Do they open up a spreadsheet? Do they kind of draw stuff? And like just there are a lot of people where you when you say, "Hey, we have this headache," and they say, "Yeah, tell me what to do." You're like, "I don't know." Like you know, we don't know how to do it, and they're just like, "Yeah, but just tell me what to do." And I'm like, "I don't know." Like I don't know. And then I mean, there are a lot of great people, but the thing is, they don't know how to tackle when you don't tell them take these things. Write yeah. your name in the corner, staple them, sort them like this. <laughs> and, and so then the thing, the, the thing for me is like when people can handle, you don't know what's coming. 
they get stuff done and you're nice to hang out with. That's amazing. And that's exactly what happened to my friend. I mean, after three meetings with Apple, I mean, I wasn't in the room where it happened, but I think Apple kind of felt, you're nice people. Like, you know, it's nice talking to you. We like you. You're smart. I mean, these things are impressive, the things you build. And you build them in four weeks. You get done. So then yeah. you kind of feel, if you're in the choir, you're sitting there going, and you're like, yeah, why wouldn't we hold these people, right? Um, and then, of course, like, it's kind of this, like, acquiring a company is really complicated because you meet the founders. They're super exciting. You know, the product is great. But, I mean, they have 28 other people in, you know, in London or, or Romania or Texas, whatever they have. And those people might hate get out of you. Or, or like, there's so many things that you don't know, right? Um, yeah. So, like, you have to kind of figure out about, like, you have to talk to the whole team. And the problem is usually you can't really talk to the whole team because you're going to spook out, you know, the, when right. the team knows, the customer knows. So then I do this. So there's a lot of, like, yeah, kind of, like, you usually have to figure that out in, a, in an elegant way, um, which is complicated. Sure. Well, and the fascinating thing is it's all stuff that you don't think about as an entrepreneur, what it's like actually buying that company right that's no, an interesting like perspective a, yeah no it is really wild because i mean when you're like i would say that m a is a very strange profession it's like like i mean i think every profession has its really quirky stuff but i think sure. that m a was such a strange thing doing because m a is like you're not doing mo most weeks you just don't do anything like absolutely <laughs> nothing happens because I mean, you do not want to go and acquire companies all the time, right? So like, you're, right. Just, you're just essentially, you know, whatever. You're just like reading books. Like, there's just nothing <laughs> you can do which makes any sense. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm serious on the level of like, you just you just don't do anything. Like, you you just think and and then you pretend that yeah, I'm thinking about strategy work or whatever. But I mean, you don't know. And the thing that is really tricky then is that what also happens is that Sunday on Tuesday. Um, like, you know, the CEO comes in or you have this you know, massive board meeting or a management meeting, whatever, and they realize we need to buy this company now. And then you just have to work until it's done. So like right. you just work night and day to get it done. And then suddenly it's done. And now you have to integrate them and onboard them and like get a good vibes from everybody and check in and get feedback and a lot of stuff. And now suddenly they're in and everything's great. It's been whatever, six months, a year. I don't know. It depends on, you know, what kind of company. And now you're just sitting there like, okay what now and then you just don't okay so the weird thing is that you cannot you can't almost have like a regular thing you do because the headache is if you do then you're toast when you're suddenly going to try to acquire a company so most of the time you just have to kind of have a super flexible schedule and just throw it out any second if needed and that's just like it's such a strange situation um i think that that's it's, it's weirded me out a lot because I, I i really like working and getting stuff done so for me, it's just like, just waiting for stuff. It just makes me really like, it's just like, I don't like that feeling. So like, it, it was so interesting. And then, you know, when the thing comes, then you have to act. And then the crazy thing as well is that in M&A, just constantly emails from VCs who are like, we have this great opportunity for you. That when they're like, <laughs> this is a thing that only for you. And um, like a, a, one of my M&A colleagues at BlackBerry said, how do you know, and like, how do you know if a VC is lying? Um, and I was like, I don't know. And I was like, they're moving their lips. Because <laughs> it's just like, these people are just like, they're so full of, they just like, you know, everything is, they're like the worst combination of a realtor to call sales, car salespeople. They just call you and they just tell you these things. Oh, this company is going great, but you know, we're just thinking if maybe they're being a bit at home at your place, there's long runway, the founders are super keen, super motivated. And they're like, so why are you calling me to sell them? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not interested in selling. I just want to like put them on your radar. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> so it is kind of a strange, and you go to, like when you go to conferences, anybody knows your company, they're just going up to you and like, hey, hey, I'm working this super cool product. You want to see my iPhone app? And I'm like, no, like just leave me alone. So it is, <laughs> it is really strange. And then, and then when it happens, right? When you go like, I really want to acquire this, then you're just like, wow, it happens. So it is, it is a really, really strange job. Um, and it took me like, after like six months, I got used to it and sure. understood what's going on. Um, and it of course depends how big, um, there, there actually is part of M&A where it is super clear what you're doing. Cause like if you're building whatever, um, you're building kind of a telemedicine company, like some kind of something, you know what it is and you just need to buy clinics in different countries to be able to get in, then yeah. it's easy. To, then you're just like, 
list of all companies, list of all, blah, 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 trawl through, check the revenue of them, check the size, check the cities, call this, you know, CEO, and then you're just machine buying. Um, and that's like, that definitely happens for certain companies. But, and then if you're like, if you're one of those, when you're being called, like it's so different than if you're like that unique super component. Um, so like one, for example, most of these big companies like the Apples and Googles and, you know, Metas and all of these, they usually have the investment people or something sometimes tied to the hip to the, um, to the M&A people. So like you're sitting uh, in the same office or same boat. So you end up like, you look at a thing like, oh, we found these crazy, like, you know, virtual reality antenna, glove, blah, blah, blah. And like, you look at M&A like, what the f- am I going to do with it? <laughs> like, this is crazy. But then you turn like, you, you go to the M&A people or like the investment people, like we met this like, virtuality thing and it's like it's not really there but i think it's like it you know i think it fits our strategy like i get why they pitched us right do you want to talk to them because maybe you want to invest and then you know the investment people i was like sure and they talk to them and then they invest the funny thing is a lot of those things you end up later acquiring because of course you did the investment because it wasn't strat- right. on strategy right and then you don't have and the funny thing is who are you negotiating with yeah exactly your colleague who's an asshole who now wants to get like <laughs> some bonus so like so we, we did that one of those deals where blackberry were like you know invest in a they invested or we them invested in this super cool antenna thing and then later we acquired them and you know we acquired them from kind of ourselves and it was just so stupid we're like i'm not gonna pay a premium price unit and the other good dude is like hey this is my bonus it's like you know we're priced it's like no come on uh, <laughs> so uh it was so it was such a strange thing but all the, that's the the many people are usually easier to approach than the um than the uh investment arm um, interesting so i, I- I think that's actually really good advice, but sadly we're out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, pale blue dot and any other links you want to mention? Yeah. So pale blue dot is at pale blue and then dot VC as in dot com, but dot VC. Um, so you don't spell out the dot. And then I am at, um, Twitter is probably the easiest, which is H A j-a-k um i also like blog random stuff but i think that usually easily defined um yeah i think i'm i am i'm pretty easy to approach like if people tw- tweet me or anything and they're not just trying to get me to sell tokens or I drop tokens to them then i usually just reply to them perfect tempest as always i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and i look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day great thank, thank you thank you okay bye thanks for listening Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.